Hey, good day, friends. This is Pastor Rako Zek, and you're listening to Jesus in the Center, one-year Bible podcast. Here on uh, this Saturday in western New York, it's not a good day. It's about to uh, have a blizzard coming through. So we pray that you're hunkered down, you're safe and warm, and that all is well with you. Today in the one-year Bible podcast, we are looking at Genesis uh, chapters 28 to 29, and we're going to look at Matthew 9, Psalm 11, and Proverbs 3, two verses from Proverbs 3. So, so glad you joined us today. Let's jump right in. So today in, in Genesis 28, we see that Jacob, who had just deceived his brother and his, and his father with the help of his mother, uh, he receives the blessing of his father, Isaac, who is about, they think he's about to die, but he turns out to live for quite a while. Um, but they think he's going to die. And so they trick him into giving the blessing to, to uh, Jacob. And that blessing included uh, a lot of things. One would be, who is the head of the clan going forward? But even, even bigger, that's just, you know, each family has to figure that out. But even bigger, <clears throat> excuse me, even bigger, who is going to receive the, the promise that was given to Abraham? The, the grandfather at this point, the the promise that the land would be given to you, the a, a great nation would be made out of you, uh, divine blessing upon you, and most importantly, the seed that would come to redeem the world. Through whom will that come? Right. So I don't think Jacob is thinking about all that at this point. He just wants he just wants to be the leader. He just wants to um, trick his brother Esau, and he wants to kind of take control. Well, Isaac figures this out, remember, and uh, he shudders with rage, but he ends up blessing, um, he ends up blessing his son Jacob and saying, well, yes, and he shall be blessed. And then here in chapter 28, he, 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 he comes to sort of realize that, yes, I must, uh, this, this blessing, this promise must actually come through, through Jacob and not through Esau, right? So he has come to his senses in some way. And um, so he, blesses his son Jacob, and his son Jacob is going to leave and, and find a wife. Uh, so there's a lot of good things there in, in Jacob, uh, in, sorry, in Genesis 28. As Jacob is on his way to um, to find a wife from his, uh, the family, I guess, clan, we could say up in Haran, where the rest of the family is, all those others who also worship Yahweh, um, he's on his way, and there's this whole dream that he has. It's kind of like a... Uh, it's translated ladder to heaven, this ladder to heaven that he sees. But a better way to translate this is a stairway to heaven. And it says that, so he fell asleep. This is verse 12. He dreamed and behold, there was a ladder or a staircase set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascended, ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Or another way to translate that, the Lord stood beside it and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Then he, then the Lord reminds him of the land, of the seed I will give to you and to your seed of this land. Uh, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so not only did his father bless him and say that this is going to happen, he falls asleep and has a dream, and the Lord himself reminds him that um, through, through you, Jacob, I will will bless the world. And here's the thing, uh, Jacob wakes up and he, um, 
a few different things. He um, he basically thinks that this is a special place. You know, he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, which is literally Bethel. And this is the gate of heaven. Bethel is the, the translation. Um, the word Bethel means house of God. So when we see that later on, that's this is the place where he saw angels ascending and descending from heaven. And here, you know, he has this great vision of God, this reminder uh, that, that God would be with him. It's a beautiful thing. And he, at this point, he comes to think of it as a place. But we, you know, later as we read this, we come to see it as, you know, the house of God is not so much a place. Go to this magical place called Bethel, where God gave Jacob a dream, but rather the house of God is a person who descends to us. How do I know? Uh, well, we know who that person is. It, it, it is Jesus. And how do I know? Am I just making this up? No. Read John chapter 1, the last few verses in, in John chapter 1. Jesus sees Nathanael and he says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Remember that Jacob is the one who will become be called Israel and he is full of deceit. And yet, um, we see here that uh, Nathaniel is, is not like that. And uh, he confesses Jesus to be the Son of God, the King of Israel, which is just awesome because Jesus had this, this sight of Nathaniel that it couldn't be explained with just in human or, or natural ways. It's a supernatural thing. Jesus saw him under the fig tree. And he says, do you believe you'll see greater things? You'll see this, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so this... Um, this stairway to heaven is Jesus, or we could say it leads to Jesus, where Jesus comes down. It. Luther says this, This is a wonderful ascent and descent of the angels to see the highest and the lowest completely united and one in the same person, the highest God lying in the manger. Wow, so that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then we see Jacob, he makes a vow. And he says, uh, this is verse 20. He's the only patriarch, by the way, to make a vow. And he says, if God will be with me and I will keep me in this way that I will go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. I'm just going to pause here. Basically, he's saying, since the Lord has promised, he will be my God. Remember before uh, he, he calls the Lord to his father, he calls Yahweh your God. But now he's saying that the Lord shall be my God. And he sets up a, a, a pillar or a stone and he calls it God's house or Bethel. And then he freely, he says, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. In other words, I will honor you. This is what we read in Proverbs yesterday with the first fruits of my produce. That's, that's a Proverbs verse from yesterday. Well, he ends up, I just want to, you know, just pause for a second. It's a, it's great to see that the Lord, even though Jacob is a sinful man, a deceiver, he, uh, God just chose, chose him. And it wasn't because he was a great man. God uh, comes and finds him and is going to do great things with him. And so that's a comfort to us because we are not great people, you know, left to our own devices. We are deceivers. Uh, we deceive ourselves, we deceive others, and we try to be in control. And so Thanks be to God that he comes despite our weaknesses and he comes to promise. And um, so we can rejoice in that. All right, well, Genesis 29. There's a lot here, but the we see after this 500-mile journey up to Haran, uh, where his, uh, 
the, the rest of the clan is. And uh, he comes to uh, the well, uh, and it's the town well. And I just love this in verse 11. Uh, we won't talk about all the details, but it says that Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Now, this is in public. This is, as Joel Salatin says, who's, who's not a theologian, he's a farmer. He says, folks, this ain't normal. It ain't normal for, um, and yes, they're cousins. And so is this a ro romantic kiss? I don't think so just yet, but who knows? It's probably not a kiss in the lips. It's probably a greeting, a greeting of welcome because we see in the next paragraph that uh, Laban or Laban, his uncle does the same thing. His uncle uh, Laban, when he hears that Jacob has come, he runs to meet him and embraces him and kissed him as well. So, and then says to him, surely you're a bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, you are my kin. You can live in my house with me. And so what is this kiss? Is it, it it's not normal uh, for men and women to kiss in public in front of the rest of these shepherds. But it, Jacob sees an answer to his heart's longing and to uh, to his prayer to provide for him a wife. And so here it is, here she is. Uh, she sees he sees her. You know this is this shepherd girl, and uh, he's so glad that this one, that um, this one, this is the one that God has provided for him. And then we see in the story that um, Laban ends up deceiving him. Jacob starts to work for him, and he says, you know, I'll work for you. Just just at the end of my seven years, give me Rachel, and he says okay. And then. In the marriage night, the, the, the night of the consummation, he deceives Jacob, and um, we might think, well, how could how could Jacob be deceived? Uh, well, they probably drank a lot. It's a seven-day event, and um, the 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 bride was to wear a veil, so it's dark. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but in the morning, it, behold, it was Leah, and Jacob is so angry, rightly so, and Laban. Or Laban says, um, "Well, wh why'd you do this?" He says, "It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn, right?" So um, it's almost like he's mad at Jacob for asking for the younger instead of the older. Well, um, he works. He also marries Rachel, and some think it's after seven years. Uh, reading different commentaries, it's probably after a, a seven days. He's he's married again to Rachel, so he has two wives within within a week or so. And polygamy is never a good idea. Later on, it would be forbidden uh, to marry two sisters. Leviticus 18.18 18 is never, never recommended, uh, which we know. Um, but you can see here the conflict that it produces. Anyway, the Lord saw, this is just, just to end on this, um, the Lord saw that Leah was hated or that she was unloved. And yet, um, God opened her womb. And we can see there the, the names of her firstborn sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, uh, they acknowledge that uh, Leah believed that God provided her children, um, and it was in response to her affliction of not being loved, not being, uh, you know, the woman that she was supposed to be in the sight of Jacob. So that's that's one thing she she believed. She also believed, she thought that these births of these children would win the affection of Jacob, and it wasn't so. Uh, she tried a. a you know, she tried to to get Jacob's affection. It never, it never happened. Third thing she she did is she deserved that God deserved the praise for bringing these these sons to her. Uh, Judah means uh, praise. So uh, she trusts in the Lord. 
yet she's also trying to, uh, you know, control the, the hard situation she's in. And so I think we see in Leah that, like all of us, she is a saint and a sinner. She, um, like all of us, we try to, to control the situations we're in. And she's in a hard spot, right? She's in a very hard spot. And so the Lord, um, the Lord saw, just like he saw with Hagar, right? Remember Hagar said of God that you are the God who sees, God who sees me, and God who looks after me. And so Leah here also, uh, not the not the wife of favor. She says the Lord uh, sees, right? Well, anyway, that's that is uh, the text there in um, in Genesis. There's so much there in Matthew. We'll just kind of be brief here, wrap this up. Uh, we see here this the rest of this chapter that Jesus is doing amazing miracles. Uh, he is the seed who will come to crush Satan. Um, and uh, so we see him doing this. I'm going to flip over my Bible here. Matthew 9, uh, there is a synagogue leader, right? It doesn't say, it says that he, he kneels down before Jesus. My daughter has just died. In, in Mark, it says uh, he's about, she's about to die. So it's, uh, it's right at that time where, like, if you don't come, she's going to die. And on the way there, they're interrupted by this woman who had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. And uh, it, this interrupts the journey of Jesus to the house. We don't know the name here, but in Mark, we know it's Jairus is the, the name of the synagogue ruler or leader. And uh, he stops and, and heals her and says, take heart, daughter. And in so saying this, he restores her to, to honor in the in the community you have been exiled in some ways you had to be apart but now you are restored and says your faith has healed you that is the same word for saved you it's this, in greek it's the word sozo which is um which can be healed or in this case saved so thanks be to god her faith was unusual and strong and she believed that jesus could do this thing that she needed well then Jesus does end up going to the house, and they all think that uh, the little girl is dead, and, and he um, he says the girl's not dead but asleep, and they laugh at him. Whew, not a good idea to laugh at Jesus, right? Not a good idea. Well, he heals her, uh, takes her by the hand, and she got up. And then they couldn't stop the news because, you know, many people had seen her dead. Now they see her alive, and so they know that uh, it was Jesus who did this. And then he heals two blind men. Interesting that they have such great faith even though they can't see, you know, which is a great encouragement for us. They call, call out, have mercy on us, son of David. And this term, son of David, you know, makes a lot of sense as we read Genesis. This one who will come to bless the world, this one who will come to crush the enemies, have mercy on us, son of David. And he says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they say, yes, Kyria. Kyrios, or yes, Lord. So they have great faith in this Lord to be able to heal, and, and he does. In the news, it spreads again. And then there's a summary statement where how Jesus um, says, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Wow, isn't that amazing? Jesus does the things that no one else can do. Like, think of this chapter. If I had done one of these things, I would write, you know, I'd, I'd write this. There would be a lot of notoriety, right? I'd be famous for, for any of these healings. And they're just one after another. This is what Jesus does. They say nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But 
verse 34, but the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out the demons, right? By Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So they they do not they don't, do not say that Jesus isn't doing these miracles because they see it with their own eyes. They just say that, okay, he's doing it, but it's sorcery. He's leading Israel astray. He's doing it by the hand of the devil. And uh, I've mentioned this to some of you guys before where I've read um, there's a record of Jesus's arrest warrant or something very much like it. And it, it says, it acknowledges that he did miracles, but they then say that he, these miracles are a sign of his sorcery. And so, interesting, even the enemies of Jesus acknowledge that Jesus was doing amazing miracles. And they think that he did it by the hand of Satan. So, so sad. But we see there also Jesus keeps on going. He's teaching. He's pre preaching. He's healing. He has compassion on them because they need a shepherd. And he knows that he is the good shepherd. So, he has come. And then he wants to send out more to shepherd, more to gather, and to heal like he is doing. So it's a beautiful thing. It says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We can always do that. Lord, send me. Okay, that's Isaiah 6. Lord, send others. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a pastor or a missionary. It can be just someone in my, uh, let's say, you know, someone that lives far away, a loved one that I have. Lord, send someone in their life that I can't right now be that person but I pray that you would send someone to be the person there who would shepherd them, who would lead them to you, because you are the great shepherd, the good shepherd. Psalm 11, I just want to point out uh, two verses. Verse 3 says, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Do you look around our world today and, and think, the foundations are being destroyed? Like literally, statues are being destroyed. And, um, you know, think about this. Statues are just the first uh, things to go, right? Whether or not you agree with all statues uh, being destroyed, uh, there are statues like William Penn that are that our government is trying to destroy uh, that for no reason, right? But these are just the first. They, they are not the last things that will be destroyed. So if you think about our country, when the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? And the psalmist points us to faith in our Lord. And it says that the Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, he's, he's not gone. The Lord is king. The Lord reigns. And then it ends with this, verse 7. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. We don't know what will happen between now and when we see his face, how much the foundations will be destroyed. But we know that the Lord is king, that he reigns. He may allow some things to happen, but he also asks us to have great faith in him and as it says, as Jesus says, send out, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers, right? So pray, pray, seek his face. And then we'll enter this Proverbs 3 says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And this is quoted in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, I believe. So check that out. And here, this is kind of a hard word to hear. I'll end with this. I had a professor in seminary, Dr. David Schmidt. He was on a hospital visit one time, and, and the woman he was visiting said, Lord, uh, or I'm sorry, Pastor, the Lord must must really love me. And he, and he Dr. Schmidt's pastor said, yeah, yeah, he does. Why do you say that? Um, because he really disciplines me, is what this woman said. He really 
puts me to the test. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He must really love me. So she looked at her life and all the troubles that she had encountered and said, well, the Lord must really love me, even in this condition, this place that I'm in. Wow, what great faith. And I think it's a call for us to also have have faith, like the woman uh, who could not find healing anywhere else, right? Twelve years of suffering and bleeding, like the synagogue ruler, like the blind men, like the mute and demon-possessed man. There's nowhere for us to go except Jesus. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Flee. Flee to Jesus, right? He will be faithful to his promise, as we see to him in the story of Genesis with, with Jacob. Even though Jacob is not a great man in himself, he's a deceiver. The Lord is the opposite of the deceiver. He is faithful. In him is no deceit. All right. Well, that was a lot. I got a little soapbox there at the end. Thanks for listening in. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. And um, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.